To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today we dive into the topic of spotting and stalking elk. And, and this has been a, a fresh one for me as lately I've given a, a talk at the Western Hunting Summit. And then I've been on a couple different podcasts, Elk Shape and then Gritty Podcast, talking about spotting and stalking elk. So I thought there was nobody better out there than my buddy Dylan Ness. And Dylan, he's been on the the, the fly cast and his episode was the most downloaded episode about in-depth streamer. The guy just kills it on rivers in mountains. The guy's a heck of an elk hunter and he shares, he shares my same love for, for going in quiet, not letting these bulls know your position and then being able to shadow the herd and wait for the right opportunity. So this is just a great podcast. We dive into spotting and stalking and our preferences and similarities. And and, and I think this is just a, a great tool to have in your toolbox. Even if you love to call, you love to bugle, you love to cow call, every season you're going to run into these scenarios where the elk are not vocal or they're they're not responding to your calls but if they're in there and you can see them you can kill them and so that's what we dive into today it's a great podcast i really enjoyed it i know you guys will really enjoy it too i want to thank swagger bipods for their support of the podcast swagger builds the best shooting sticks and bipods on the market uh, I really like their bipods as they go up higher where you can shoot from a sitting position, you can shoot from prone, even a kneeling position. Uh, their legs are spring tension loaded, um, and so you can really get tension back into your shoulder. And then they'll also track, so you can leave the legs on the ground and swing your rifle. So if a, a deer or bull's walking right or walking left, you can track that target. Uh, they're the most rock-solid aim on the market, and being an accurate shooter is all about having a good rest. Uh, if you don't like the weight of a bipod on your rifle, they also have a set of shooting sticks that are lightweight, spring-tension-loaded, so you can move up or down to track your target. You don't need to reset the legs every time. So they're a huge advantage. They have great products. If you're in the market for bipod, shooting sticks, make sure to check out Swagger. Uh, I also want to thank Onyx Maps. Uh, Onyx, I've been building my hunt plans right now, so I'm spending a ton of time on Onyx. But they just have so many features for making a, a rock-solid hunt plan. As you can go through and look at uh, topography, aerial imagery, or a hybrid map. And they've actually improved a lot of their aerial, aerial imagery uh, to, to just show great detail in these places. Uh, you can still use OnX even if you don't have service. You just need to save your maps before you go, and then you'll have all your maps no matter what your cell phone signal is. And I like doing this as well just because as you get into these big cities and things, uh, uh, service isn't as reliable, and sometimes you, you can't uh, get the data you need. So it's always nice to save all these maps for all the places you're hunting, and then they just have different color codes for your waypoints, uh, different icons, 
they have this this feature that I've been using a bunch lately where you can send a waypoint to a buddy. So during your scouting, you see something you like, click on that waypoint. It'll say to share it. You can share it through a text or through an email. And this is also really important when you're meeting somebody. So I can send a point and say, hey, this is where we're going to camp. Meet me here. And he has that exact point on his GPS. So uh, it's just an absolute game changer. I use it about every day of my entire life to make these rock-solid game plans to give myself a chance at success this season. So thanks to the Onyx guys for their support of the podcast. Over there at Eastman's, we're having this huge giveaway for TagHub. So TagHub is our internet research tool, and it's all our data compiled into one resource. And, and in this TagHub... Uh, there's so many different statistics, and you can search every different species in, in, in every different unit in every state. And, and it just gives you a, a color-coded re- rating. Uh, it's easy to read. Uh, there's so much information at learning these states. Uh, and, and it's good intel, even if you're a bow hunter. Like, I learn about the, the rifle units. gives me a lot of information. But they have harvest success. They have uh, trophy bulls, bull-to-cow numbers. Uh, uh, Pope and Young Counties, they have so much information in this. And and, and we're always updating and evolving this program as well. As I just saw uh, a new graph that we put in that took all the Pope and Young elk harvest and, and which date they were harvested and made a graph. So you can really see the peak of the rut when, when guys are killing bulls and, and killing big bulls. And it's just a, a really interesting graph. So a bunch of good information in there. Um, and we're giving a giveaway right now uh, where we're giving $16,000 worth of gear. Um, there's a Quiet Cat electric bike in there. Um, gosh, uh, uh, bows, pistols. Uh, uh, there's so much great stuff in there. Packs. So uh, if you're interested, make sure to check out Tag Hub. Um, and, and also check out uh, Eastman's TV on the Outdoor Channel uh, or Beyond the Grid, our, our internet TV show. Uh, just had a new episode release there. So I had the first episode that I, that I ever had on TV, that I ever filmed. I went with Lane Walters, which has been on the podcast. He filmed me, uh, and we went to... The, the the high country of Wyoming to hunt muley bucks and able to to capture the whole thing and then um, put it out. It came out on the Outdoor Channel. Oh, I think I filmed it in 2016. It's now out in our Beyond the Grid, so you can find that there and watch that through the internet. It's a good episode. I'm really proud of it. And with that, man, let's get into this podcast. So spotting and stalking elk uh, with my buddy Dylan Ness. Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Okay, I got my buddy. I got Dylan Ness on the phone. Um, man, you came on the Flycast, and um, you you were so good on the Flycast. And, and I think we did an entire podcast after we got done on hunting. I had to have you back on the hunting side of things. Yeah, no, thanks. I appreciate it. I think we did a whole uh, fishing one before this, but yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's either brown trout or bulls. That's usually what I'm talking about, you know, or high country hunting, one of the two. But um, yeah, man, it's good to have you back on. Uh, I wanted to talk to you today. We we hunt a similar style and in similar country. Um, So hunting bulls, 
you know, I think more bulls are killed from a call and more big bulls are killed from a call. But but I also feel like in today's day and age with high pressure elk, when you're really targeting these herd bulls, you know, they're five, six, seven years old. They've they've heard every trick in the book and and you can call those bulls in, but they're only in the, the right mood maybe once or twice an entire season. And so like, uh, you know, the the style that I've adopted and also the style you've adopted is to to use the element of surprise and and to really stalk these elk and wait for your opportunity to go all in and it it allows us to target these bigger herd bulls it allows us to target these higher pressure elk and um and it's a good way to kill consistent six points right dylan yeah no no i couldn't agree more on that it uh yeah i i like pulling up on advantage and spotting and stalking and not have to rip on a bugle and pull up the glass and do my deal there oh if if i can see him i can kill him and and i i try to hunt you know i love hunting mountains and i i love hunting break broken open country uh but i i the more open the better if i can see him i can kill him yeah no see him if that's that's the one motto that i kind of live by as well if i can see him i can kill him you know out here you know antelope hunt and all that it's like if I see him, I feel like I have a chance, and uh, I definitely don't speak the language, so I may be biased on this, but yeah, no, I like uh, not letting him know I'm there, and uh, being able to, whether cut him off or, you know, spot and stock, put him to bed, but no, I'm with you. I, uh, I'm i all about the uh, putting the bugle tube away, maybe have a cow call, but uh, spot and stock. Well, well, and there's multiple ways to kill a bull, and and maybe it'd be smart to have all the tools in your toolbox to, you know, sometimes you run across a bull in the middle of the day that's screaming his head off searching around for cows. Like, that's a good one to give a couple cow calls or a bugle to, but but I've just found that it's almost like a crutch for me, that if I bring my calls, I tend to want to use them when it gets slow or use them when a scenario is not panning out, when the real answer is to be patient and keep playing the game, and so... I guess um, you know playing the spot and stock game. You know the 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 first order of business or the first challenge is locating out, finding where they're at. And and you were talking about getting on a a good vantage point. Is that the way you like to do it most of the time? Is like find a master vantage point and then sit there for like a morning or an evening. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know that country that country that we like to hunt. Uh, I, I have some spots that I like to get to that I can see everything. Um, you know, in some mornings you're lucky enough to where you, you do see, you know, that, that herd and that big bull coming across. But, you know, some mornings are a little sore. So then I kind of start creeping down just spur ridges and uh, kind of working more down into things. And, you know, like you said, um, being patient, that that is that's huge because – that's why I stopped carrying a bugle tube um, in, in the type of country that we hunt, just because uh, I would get impatient and, you know, I'm not seeing them. I'm not seeing them. And I would go to rip rip off a bugle um, in my younger years and, you know, blow out the whole drainage. And, uh, yeah, I definitely like to grab a master and, you know, hopefully get onto something from there, but then just kind of start creeping down spur ridges and, and doing some more glassing. Yeah. Um gosh i like your approach on that i think i take it the same way like i'm less apt to sit on a vantage point the whole morning for for elk 
you know, unless it's an absolute super vantage where I can see the world and I just know I'm going to see an elk from there and can keep my eye on it. But most of the time I'm like you, and that's hunting the broken open country or the mountains, is I just have to do like a mobile vantage point where like I, I get to a good spot where I can see – I glass around, depending on how good I can see is how long I'll sit there, but usually it's only about 10 or 15 minutes, and then I just keep moving and keep rolling down the, the ridge line or up the ridge line or up the basin, and every little window of new country that I can see, I'm just throwing my glass up, and you're you're almost like you're uh, – like your OCD pulling your binos up. You just anytime you can see a new opening, new grass feature, whatever it is, you're just pulling your binos up, constantly glued to your eyes. Is is that how you kind of move through country as well? Yeah, definitely. No, and that's uh, I my one buddy. You know, he'll be panning left and right, and then I'll, I'll be pulling up my binos. He'll half bump into me half the time because it's like <laughs> like you said, every every bit of you know a new window looking down a drainage, or you know you kind of open something else up. It's like, gosh, you have to, you just have to pull up, your, pull up your glass. But yeah, and it's tough. Like you said, in that open, you know, kind of broken country, you know, you might see something from a master, you know, in the first few minutes of light, but those elk are traveling. And if you sit in one spot, you know, they're gone. You know, you, you, you know, you can't see them. So, uh, you know, we find ourselves a lot of the time taking off running to keep up to where we can find, you know, which little finger they're going to work up or whatnot. Cause if, if you sit in one spot too long and that's, that's kind of the, you know, the blessing and the curse is like, yes, it's open, but if you're looking left and those elk travel through real quick to your right, it's like, they're gone. So if you don't keep up with them and keep moving with the glass, it's like, yeah, it's, it'll be, it'd be, it'd be kind of tough, but I agree with you. You definitely just have to stay on it. Like I don't like to just take off on a, on a walkabout, but sometimes you kind of have to just to get into some new country and, and keep up with the elk. So yeah, get to those new vantage points. You bring up a good point, Dylan, that, um, that shadowing the herd or coyoting the herd. It seems like once you find a herd, you stated it from, from any which angle, they're always disappearing from you. Like very rarely are you just watching a herd of elk and they're going to bed right in front of you. Like most of the time they're just, they're over the top of a ridge or they're down into a drainage. And so then you're like trying to relocate them. You're trying to get closer and just try to keep your eye on them, keep shadowing the herd, you know, because eventually when they get close to their bed is when they start feeding around and that's a good chance to stalk them. But you have to figure out where that spot is. And the only way to do it is a lot of times, like you're saying, I, I love elk. There isn't many animals that make you jog to keep after them. And it's usually when I'm hunting elk. <laughs> Like I've got sweat just rolling down my face. I've got to stop off and ta- stop and take off a layer, but I won't, you know, because it's too exciting. This I got this bull in front of me, and I'll watch him go over a ridge, and I'll ju- I'll just try to race to that ridge and just get there and just barely see him go over going over the next ridge. And so you're just trying to keep with him, and, and you're not trying to kill him yet. You're just trying to to shadow the herd and just trying to trying to get close enough to where you're in striking distance to where then you can make a move if he makes a mistake. Um, so it sounds like that's a lot of what you're doing as well. Yes. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. And it's, it's always one of those things too. It's like, you'll be busting butt all the way up through there, you know, crest the last ridge and then you'll come into a drainage that has like a Turkey foot at the front. It's like left, middle or right. And they're both kind of dog hairy timber in the bottom. And it's like, which ones did they go into? And it's like, Oh boy. But uh, (laughs) yeah, no, no, that's exactly how it's exactly how I do it. And you know, 
a lot of it doesn't pan out half the time, but it's it's a heck of a way to you know set up and uh, when you run into a situation like that, even if you lose them, um, you know you're in the ballpark, and uh, and then all you need is you know hear a cow call, hear a bugle, and then you know you're you're in the game for the rest of the day. So yeah, that's it. Well, we use those sounds a lot too. So you know we're trying to glass elk and get our eyes on them, but. Any distant bugle, any faint bugle, any bugle down in there, it, it's like keying in on that bull's location. And so you're trying to use that information. But there's, you know, it seems like the stock on, on elk is like this mobile stock where you just got to flow through country and you keep getting to a spot and then you have to adapt to the conditions you're given, what the wind are doing, where the elk went, your speed at which you're moving. Like you have to adapt all that just kind of on the fly. And it's like a, it, it's a really fun, thrilling hunt as you're just relying upon your instincts all the time to make these micro decisions that's either going to get you into this elk or not but we use their sounds and their bugles a lot and um you know most of the time it gives you a pretty good indication of where they're at but but you can also make mistakes you know if they bugle away from you it can echo off the canyon wall where you, where you think they're you know, way closer or way further away than they actually are because they bugled away and then it echoed off the canyon wall. I can remember one, you know, there's a bunch of bulls I've screwed up on, you know, about every different way from Sunday. But I can remember this one big bull that I was that I was shadowing and I was right on him and I had a good chance to kill this bull and I had followed him, you know, for a couple miles or so. And I'd hear him bugle every now and again and he was chasing his cows and I'd get in this basin and I really slow my speed. Anytime I'm about ready to see elk, I'm really slowing down. Or every time I'm coming over a ridgeline, I'm really slowing down, making sure I'm looking left and right. Like the game is you have to see them before they see you. And so I slow down, and and then um, I, it's a big bull I've been chasing all this way. And all of a sudden I hear this bugle, and I, I you kind of stop and go motionless and just kind of freeze and pay attention to where the sound came from. And so I heard it. And I thought, oh, he's down in that bottom now. He crested the corner. He's already in front of me. And so I take off jogging again to get up there, and I jog about 30 yards and come over the ledge, and he's 30 yards down below me, and I blow up the whole scenario. He was right below me. He just bugled away from me and echoed off that canyon wall, and I totally messed up, you know, going off that sound. Oh, shoot. Yeah, no, and I'm the same way. I've messed up every way to Sunday too. But the one thing I like that you said is, uh, hey, you know, how you move through country and flowing through country, uh, I think that's huge, especially, you know, in, in this open type country that we're hunting, uh, your pace is the, I, that's one of my, you know, one of my biggest things is like, you can kind of tell when you're in the groove and even if you're not on elk at the exact moment, but when you're moving vantages and you're moving through country, you can kind of, I don't know. I, I can always tell when I'm going too fast and I can always tell when I'm going a little bit too slow and when I need to just kind of flow through it in the right way. And, uh, it's amazing, you know, depending on, you know, I hunt with a bunch of different guys, but it's like some guys that I'm hunting with, you know, maybe move a little too slow and it's like, Hey man, we got to get there. Like we just got to get there. And some guys move a little too quick. I feel like, and it's like you miss a few things or some subtle, you know, maybe, there's an elk standing there 300 yards away that we would have seen if we would have been going a little bit slower. But it's like, I really like how you say flow through country and uh, the pace at which you move at, because then it's like, you know, I mean, 
that maybe that bugle on that that canyon the echoed off the canyon wall you know it's like got you amped up and it's like oof maybe i slow down just a second peek over that sucker and smack him you know but i really really liked how you said that yeah um you can tell you're you're tapped into the country the same way i am it's all about that flow through country and elk isn't this methodical planned out play it's like constantly evolving as you're on it you locate a bull and then at least me for when i locate a bull I mean, it's pretty much you got to just go over and try to get into them. And it's it's not – I'm never going to stalk recklessly, and I'm never going to stalk to failure. So recklessly would be like going through an open meadow where, you know, can these elk see me? Can they not? I'm not going to do that. I just won't do it. I'll freeze. And, and then not stalk, not stalking till to failure is I, I'm actually trying not to spook these elk. So anytime I get close – and I can see a cow or I'm getting close to the herd. Like I just hold up and I just wait and I, I wait till that cow goes over the top or those elk go over the top. And, and like you say, it doesn't always work out, but you get you get this really good instincts through country to where then you're not spooking a whole lot of elk and you're chasing and you're into them and trying to make something happen. And if you don't get them that morning, that's okay. I love that evening play to know where elk put away at and to know they're in some deep, deep, dark timber. You know, if that bull continues to call or if I know his exact position, I'll try to move in on him. If not, like if I don't, I just know he disappeared in some, into some timber and maybe doesn't bugle a whole lot. I won't charge in there because it's low odds for me. I usually end up busting them or spooking them. And so I kind of chase them in the transition of the morning and try to get them to that bedding zone. And if I can see him bed or know his exact bed, then I'll make a play. But but if not, you know, I, I, I won't go into that timber. I'll wait. And I love the evening, too. Like I think the most consistent wind we get is that last hour of light when those thermals really come down, when that shade really stretches over the landscape, get that downhill thermal, and those elk are coming out to their feeding feature. So um, I, I like that evening play on them. Um, how, do you, how do you play at middle of the day or when you're chasing elk? What kind of scenarios are you looking for that are your high percentage plays or your all-in plays? Yeah, no, I, uh, on, in the morning, uh, I, I'm, to be honest, I'm not a huge, I mean, obviously I'm out there and I like the morning, but I feel like in the morning, sometimes it feels like, uh, a little bit of a rush sometimes because you know, the elk are heading somewhere to go to bed. Um, so I like, I like staying on them in the morning and I am, I'm a big fan of evening and, and like, be patient in the evening because it, from my experience, whether it's bulls I've killed or, or just, you know, great opportunities that I've had, I, you know, start to look at them all and it's like, gosh, they've all been in the evening. And I think those elk in the morning are pretty, are pretty wired, you know, like I feel like as the sun, as the sun comes up, I mean, yes, they're going to bed, but it's like, they're pretty, they're pretty in tune and they don't miss much. I feel like when elk come out to feed, like, yeah, as they get down into one of those bottoms or that, you know, they're, they're pretty wired up and they can, you know, they're on their toes, but sun starts to fade and those thermals are down, coming down and we have a good wind. I love, um, the evenings. I absolutely love the evenings. I've had more high quality experiences, stocks, opportunities, you know, I've killed all, I've killed my bulls in the evening. Um, 
and I just feel like he's like those bulls become a little more lax in my opinion. I just think they have they're a little more lax. They kind of move around, but I'm not a big uh, you know unless it's unless it's right. Um, which and by right I mean you know he's set off kind of downwind of his cows so he can scent check them because um, that's what I've kind of seen sometimes is that those big bulls will be downwind of their cows and he's the last one in line with the wind in his face so he can scent check his cows unless that's the case I usually don't go in during the middle of the day okay yeah that makes sense I like that 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 late that evening play too that as that light gets lower that low light it seems like it hides us better too it's just not the glaring sunshine of the morning or the late morning when you're hunting them so i love that but you have to be patient that means that you can't spook them in the morning if you spook them in the morning you don't have a very good play for evening you know you want to have you know the first challenge is locating a bull you want to shoot you know once you've located that bull then it's trying to get that high percentage play and and I love it if I can bet a bull because I know I've got uphill thermals and I can then stalk that spot. Then I can stalk him like a mule deer methodically and slow and try to get to his bedroom. And I know he'll get up throughout the day, but gosh, there's just so many eyes and they're so aware. And most of the time, elk like to bed in thick cover. It's very rare that, that you you can actually see them in there, you know. So, so most of the time, I'm like you where I opt to wait and then opt to have – you know, to make my move and go all in in the evening on that last play. And and that's why I love elk, too. It seems like you just got to go for it, too. In the evening, sometimes when you see these things come out, of course, if you're set up on them, you know, you should be within striking distance. But a lot of times I'll see elk come out in the evening. And it's like I just look at my watch and go, gosh, can I make it there? Can can I do I I know if I can get there, I can kill that bull. And so half the time I'm taking off on a jog again, sweating my eyes and, you know, the whole deal, just trying to get just trying to get over there so I can go make a play on them. But I love that. There's nothing more exciting than your heart beating out of your chest and knowing that you're trying to give yourself a chance and jogging over there. And then and then, of course, I've got the you know, the long hike, hike out at night to think about it. But that's not bad either in that country. Like to locate elk at night, like walking out, you hear a lot of bugles at night and those bugles tell you where those elk are. Yeah, no. And that's, I think you and I talked about this before. Uh, I'm like this year, uh, just on that point, exactly. I'm going to have enough, enough in my pack, you know, quote unquote day pack. Um, I'm going to have enough to stay the night or two um, because, you, I mean, as you know, sometimes you're in there one heck of a long ways and you finally are on on that bowl. And, you know, it's like, shoot, half the time. Well, up until this point, I always have to turn around and go back to camp, you know, to the pickup or whatever. And it's like I'm going to back off, you know, half mile or so, three quarters of a mile, maybe a mile, whatever, whatever the circumstances is. And uh, I'm going to just – sleep on them because that is one of the things that I like to do. Say, say there's a day that you're not into elk, you know, I eat dinner, you know, maybe relax for a quick second after getting back to camp and I get in the pickup or I go for a hike and I start listening for them. Um, because nothing grinds my gears more than just a day out and, you know, not being in them. So it's like I spend the time at night, you know, trying to listen, trying to find those bulls. But that is one thing I'm definitely going to do this year is if I find them 
and I don't pull them out. I don't get too aggressive in the evening. Um, I'm going to just, I'm going to back off and I'm just going to sleep on them and go for it again the next day. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. Spot on. I'm, I'm, I'm always so efficient. I don't, I don't know that I can hunt without an overnight bag with me anymore. You just end up so far back in when you find those things. And, and that's for in the mountains too. You know, a lot of times I'll run a base camp and elk are nomadic by nature. And there's a lot of elk features, you know, all of the features that you see that are good elk features, it doesn't mean that there's elk in there all the time. They work a network of country. And so for me, hunting elk, I don't do a 10-day base camp or a 10-day camp and then I just hunt that drainage. Like, I'm mobile. I, I'm hunting a different spot dang near every day or uh, every couple days. And so, like, I make these probes up into country and drainages and ridge lines, and then – see what's in there and you're right you got that overnight bag and at least a couple days worth of food and you can go so light for a day or two and you don't need your you can get away without your stove or maybe you bring your stove but still you can get that thing like around 30 pounds for a couple days or even 28 26 you know if you ditch the scope which you know sometimes i can get away without a scope for elk i i really like to see what they are but um you know you can get that pack pretty light but that is an efficient way to hunt elk yeah no and that's yeah that's one thing i've never done um you know and up to this point it's i never uh you know always kind of moving around and you know if you're in elk you're in elk but that's just one thing i'm pretty excited about because that's the one thing that kind of kicks a guy's butt every once in a while is when you're eight miles you know down a system a, a drainage system and you've got to go up down up down up down up down to get back to camp over eight miles and you're getting back to camp at you know 11 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night it's like be way more beneficial to just camp out there and be in them and wake up and have your shot then and be fresh so i'm pretty well, yeah. pretty pretty excited Makes sense. Well, and that's a 16 mile turnaround too, because you got to come out the eight miles and then you get like, you get back to camp late and then you got to leave so early in the morning to cover that eight miles in the dark to get back to that spot you where it was such good hunting, you know? So yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to stay there. Um, but I, I like what you said about, um, you know, uh, locating these things in the evening. That's such a big trick of mine is, you almost have to get on these elk schedule. You know, I, I have guys ask me what to do in the middle of the day. And it's like, um, you know, if you're on elk, then you stay on elk or you may try to get like a different vantage point where you can see them in their bed where you might be able to get a play. Um, I, I will grab a good vantage point in the middle of the day, but I'm not going to rule any country out. And I'm also not going to get too excited. You know, there are those exceptions where the elk bugle all day long. But really, I'm trying to get on the elk schedule, and and the elk are, are most active in that morning and night, and so I want to be the same. And it's not just that that morning and night when the when the sun comes up, you start your hunt. Like like you want to be in country. You can cover country for an hour or two before light. You can stop at a couple vantage points and listen in the dark. And when you just stop and listen, like, I don't even have to bugle into the darkness. If there's an elk party going on, you don't have to sit there but two minutes and you'll hear some screaming. And same thing at night, too, just like you were saying. Like, uh, after it gets dark, you know, walking out to a couple different vantage points and just listening out there because that, you know, the, the, the number one challenge of killing an elk is you got to find elk. And, boy, sometimes those... 
you know, when they're bugling like crazy, you just know there's a bunch of elk in there, and you put yourself in elk in the morning. And so I think it's important to get on their schedule, and I'm not opposed to falling asleep in the middle of the day or taking it easy in that that heat of the sun and just waiting and putting all my effort mornings and evenings. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, shoot, I've seen some crazy stuff where it's like middle of the day. We, you know, my one buddy and I, we take shifts every once in a while now, you know, it's like, Hey, take a nap. I'll take, I'll keep an eye out on things, but it's like, it's amazing how many times you might catch, you know, maybe it's just a cow or maybe it's a raghead. Who knows? Just coming across some country, maybe an open sage flat, coming into a drainage, it kind of sets a little fire off in there, you know, a couple bugles or whatever. And it's like, that's why I've just, yeah, we kind of take turns taking naps in the middle of the day now because it's like, uh, you just never quite know. And it, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, I like to put all my eggs in, you know, the morning and the evenings. But if you're out there hunting, I mean, granted, I take naps, but it's like it's always it's always beneficial to keep your eyes peeled and have somebody at least paying attention half the time in the in the middle of the day as far as that goes, you know. It is. It's um, it's good to park yourself on a vantage, and you may see nothing, but there are those days where you just catch that good bull, or you catch <laughs> a herd, or you catch, you know, they do move around the middle of the day. So you're right. Like uh, you you spend your time being productive. And that's a good idea to have one guy watching out at all times because you just never know. Yeah, no, and in 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 you know out there, um, it's like you never know who's around the next corner too. You know, um, you may be sitting on a bunch of elk, and some guy may sneak over the opposite ridge a mile and a half away with the wind wrong, and bump him right to you. You know, I mean, it's not ideal. Um, but it would, it does pay to be on your toes. Cause I mean, that's kind of one of my things too. It's like, that's, it's, it's always so difficult for me, um, when I'm on some elk to let them sit because more than once, shoot, half a dozen times, put some elk to bed and here comes some guy with no clue in the world. And I mean, granted, who knows his deal, but walks right into him with a wind, with the windows back and blows them all out. So it's, it's tough. It's one of those things that's tough to decide, hey, am I going to be patient? You know, um, am I going to get aggressive? Can I see him? Is he bedded? But yeah, yeah, that's that's a difficult part of that country. Yeah. Well, and, and sometimes you leave them at night and then come back in the morning and they're gone, you know, and sometimes you leave them at night and get right back in there and the whole party's in there. So it is tough. You just have to you have to make your best decisions and then just live with them. But yeah. You know, our biggest advantage as, uh, as humans is being able to theorize and think outside the box and like being able to look at those elk and try to figure out how you're going to get close to them or to try to come up with a game plan to get into bow range. Um, man, I love being out there and being able to play the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and my biggest flaw probably is I think every every big bull I see, I can go kill him. Um, I'm like the biggest optimist is that, as far as that goes. It's like. If I feel like if like last year we were in some squirrely country and it had some goofy winds and they just never seemed to be right. But I just thought I was like, if I can get there, there was no I mean, looking back, there was just no good way to kill this bull. But I just literally thought to myself, I can go. I, I see him. 
I know where he is. I see all of his cows. Like, I think I can, I, I mean, actually, I, I was like, I know I can go kill this bull. Like, I pled my case. And my buddy's like, well, go ahead. And it's sure enough, I blew him out. But it's like, that's one of my biggest things is like, I always, if I can see him, I literally think I can go kill him. And it pans out a hand, you know, fair bit. But that's, that's one thing that I need to, uh, you know, do a little more of the theorizing and, and, looking at stuff and it's like i'm not going in there reckless but uh sometimes the opportunity that's at hand at that very moment may not be the best opportunity if you wait a couple hours makes sense the the longer you're on elk the more mistakes they seem to make don't they it's it's tough to play elk patiently but the longer you can keep with them it just seems like that bull put himself in a bad spot he'll leave those cows or he'll go to water or separate himself or in the evening so it it does seem like you've got to really pick and choose your all-in moments and it like the winds are the worst you know and and getting a higher understanding of the way the the winds move around where you hunt um you know usually the weather reports will give you a dominant wind direction you know the dominant winds you know most of the time they come up about mid-morning and blow fairly hard throughout the day and directionals are up on top uh, thermals control a lot of the the bottoms and things, and you know, it, in, in the morning first light when it's all shaded, most of that cool air is falling, and then as the sun comes up, warms the valley floor, that warms that air in the valley, and that that air starts to rise. And so, like, kind of having an understanding of the wind, and then just really paying attention as you're elk hunting out there for like a week, it just. I'm always taking notes of it, you know, what the winds do on the lee wind side or on the the dominant wind side, what they're doing down in that bottom, and just always keeping tabs on them because a lot of times killing that elk or a high percentage play just has a lot to do with what those winds are doing. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, like the the big bull that I killed a few years ago, a couple of years ago, he uh, he was down in this deep you know, timber draw, you know, off this, it was kind of just a spur, spur ridge with a big cut. And he was down there screaming his head off. And I was like, well, you know, it was late, late afternoon. And so I had to circle around all the way, get the wind right. And it was an east wind that day, which was, you know, a little bit different, but I really like east winds for some reason up there. I like southwest winds and I like east winds. It has no rhyme or reason, but those are just my favorite. Um, so I get down into this cut and, uh, he goes to get on this cow and the cow spooks. So he rolls off and he was at 45 yards when I got down there and that happened and he goes over this knob and it was getting, it was getting to the point, you know, where there was a handful of you know, minutes of shooting light left, you know, 10, 12 minutes, but we're down in this hole. So it's starting to get dark. And the last thing I thought I was, I was going to back out on him. And then I instantly thought I was like, these thermals are going to switch and they're going to switch fast and they're going to roll right by him. And, uh, so I literally belly, or belly rolled off this little finger down in the bottom, and literally, I don't, it, it might have been luck, but uh, it was a big clover bottom, and uh, it was instantly cool, and my, my wind was blowing straight back to the east. So, like, the thermals worked perfect. Ended up, you know, getting up, making a good shot on him as he got on top of this cow. But, uh, yeah, playing the thermals. And that was honestly the first time that it ever, like, hit me, hit me, like, Wow, you can really change your luck if you got your head you got your head in it and thinking you know, 
hey, what's going to happen next as far as the wind and this and that? And it's like I'm always on my little puffer. I always bring about 10 of them just to – I'm constantly, constantly checking the wind. But, yeah, yeah, the thermals, the thermals are huge. I had a guy give me um, – I'm constantly checking the wind too. It's weird how it goes down through ridge lines and through bottoms and really – you know, your wind analysis on that big bull might have been the reason you killed him. Um, but but I found um, those wind checkers are great. I had a guy give me at this last Western Hunting Summit like a like a, a cotton seed or a cotton ball thing. He grows them like it's a bean. I should know what in the heck I'm talking about. But you pull out these little tiny fibers of cotton and then let them out in the wind. And, boy, you can really see them travel quite a ways further out to see what the winds are doing further out. Um pretty wild they they sell it on the internet i'll i'll shoot you a link or i'll tell everybody on the intro yeah. ending uh remember to tell you what it is but uh it was pretty cool because it you just watched it drift you know 20 30 40 feet out and so you could watch it take off up a ridge and then get in the bottom and then settle down it's like wow that that really gives you a good understanding of what the winds are doing further out i thought that would be advantageous for that country oh Big time. That's so sweet. Huh. Yeah, you have to let me know what that is. I will. Uh, so you can you, – you literally like let them off, like flick them up or what do you do? Do you just puff them out of a bottle? Yeah, it's like uh, uh, just grab a little piece of the fiber and then just let it go. And it's almost <laughs> like cotton from a cotton tree. It's just so light and airy that it just catches the wind, but you can see it way further off. Oh, yeah. That would be huge in that country. That would be so <laughs> sweet. That's what I thought, too. Yeah, he gave me a handful of it I stuffed in my bino harness. But, yeah, i got to figure out where to get some or what it's called. I'll have to message him again. But uh, just to give you, you know, just a little bit better understanding of what those winds are doing. Um, but, yeah, it's wild how they, they work off ridge lines and draws and things. And so you're just constantly taking tabs. And as you're hunting these elk, you're just always paying attention to what those winds are doing because you know it's just such a make or break. That's where that that evening, like when you killed that bull or those downhill thermals in the evening, I just love when you have a wind in your face and you know like the wind is eliminated. Now it's just up to me getting close enough to this thing. And those those elk out there, they're more of a high pressure elk. Um, you know, I find when I hunt them in the mountains or the wilderness, you know, they're not quite as switched on or turned on as they as they are in that country that country you know they get bumped by humans out there there's hunting pressure there's also a lot of bulls out there there's a good population of elk but they know what humans are and they're really looking for you they're looking for your silhouette they're looking for you sneaking on them and so you know you really got to be on your game when you're spotting stalking those elk out there yeah yeah there's no there's no walking through big open sage flats or skylining yourself or you know obviously having a good wind it's like you don't get away with much is how i feel it's like you've got to be on your game a little bit and you know really pay attention to what you're doing and that's the one thing especially i mean granted any you know any kind of spot in stock hunting uh skyline walking through open stuff and skylining yourself it's like that's i've learned now that the little things are the difference and you know there's i've been caught more times than I want to admit, you know, walking over a ridge or walking through an open meadow and that elk, deer, antelope, whatever, standing on the tree line and you just get busted. So it's like, like you said, they're high pressure and it's like, you've got to be as switched on as they are is how I feel about it. 
Absolutely. The, the ridge line assault is so important. Anytime you're coming over a ridge, like you're constantly chasing these elk, you're going to get to a point where you're coming over a ridge and exposing yourself, and it's also going to expose new country to those elk. Anytime you're coming over a ridge, that's where you got to move your slowest. And you really come over and you just got to catch them before they catch you. So it's take a step and glass or take a step and look. And then also something that I've really tried to get better at is not be so hyper-focused where I think they are, is to make sure that I'm looking left or right. Sometimes I can be so hyper-focused right in front of me where I think that bull is that I'm walking over the ridge looking at that spot, and I walk right over, and there's an elk to my right that catches me coming over the top. So I've, I've learned that I really have to be good on my ridgeline assaults. I have to be able to pick them up and then look at, looking around to my left and to my right whenever I'm coming over the top it, is equally as important. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, I get caught in the same exact thing. Uh, you know, watch, you know, watch a critter go down a, down a coulee, down a drainage and you come over the top and you're thinking they're going to be left and you're just like, where are they? Where are they? Where are they? And then all of a sudden, you know, you hear an elk bark or an antelope blow and it's just like, oh, they're right they're in bow range to my right. Like if I would have just panned, taken my time, it would have made all the difference. Yeah, you you get better at like the the more you do it, you kind of get in tune with it. That it, that experience is key because yeah, you get busted a few times. Like the goal oh, the goal when you're elk hunting is to never spook an elk, and that you know that hardly happens. Like uh, eventually, it seems like you bump some, but you, you get pretty good in that country too. You get um, or in all elk country really, just kind of moving through it and being able to to pick up those elk. So once I once I pick them up or once I see them. I really like to keep an eye on the elk that I'm stalking. And so, you know, the, the best would be to get in front of those elk where they're headed or try to get, you know, where they're moving to. But I try to use I, I try to use the contours of, of the topography to get myself in close. So the the topography, it'll, if it'll hide me or the timber will hide me and allow me to get a little bit closer, I'll use those. And then I... I really like to keep tabs on those elk. I like to look at their heads or, you know, and a lot of times when I'm stalking a bull, like maybe I can't see his head, but I can see his horns. And so his horns are going to tell me which way he's looking, which way he's facing. I know if he snaps his horns around quick, like he's on edge, you know, so I can almost like read his mood and his behavior by which way his horns are. And same thing with those cows. Like if I'm stalking up on some elk, like, and I've got some timber for cover, I almost just want to keep my eyes on all those elk, and when their heads are down feeding, I move. And if any of their heads are up, I stay frozen. And so I'm just keeping eyes on all these elk as I'm kind of moving through there and keeping tabs on them. And if if any elk looks in my direction, like um, you know, a mistake I made in my earlier days is, um, you know, I don't know where I picked it up, but I see a lot of guys do it. Is the moment they see elk, they crouch down because they don't want to be standing up. But that big movement that you create that's what elk see elk pick up on the movement if you hold still that they're not that good at picking you up and they'll they'll you know sometimes they'll even see you move and if you freeze they'll forget about you after 10 minutes like their alarm system is made to see that movement and so like that's what you have to keep tabs on that's where that really slow movement when you're in close like the hands of a clock and really keeping tabs on all the elk's heads and when they're up and when they're down and then there's sometimes where you're just in so close, maybe you're not even in bull range of the bull, but you just know, I can't get any more out of this situation. I'm stuck. 
So I'm just going to wait here and I'm just going to let things develop. I'm just going to let it happen, you know, and, and sometimes that bull will come over and check out the cow that you're closest to or the herd will move in your direction or they'll move off and move over a little hump that'll give you another chance to close in and, 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 and come over the hump and be in bow range. And so like I, I, I uh, it's so fun to stock those things, but, um, you really you really have to keep tabs on those elk or you know that's at least my favorite tactic and then just kind of take what they'll give you it seems like yeah yeah no and and as far as keeping tabs on them that's the one thing you know i love antelope hunting and that was one, one thing i had to learn early if i wanted to kill big antelope is i had to pay attention to the does and not just one doe i had to hunt every single doe in the herd if i wanted a chance at that big buck and just like big bulls that's the thing if you if you want to kill you know big bulls and hunt big bulls not 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 very often do you find them off by their lonesome you know i mean they're in the herd so you're not fooling you're not fooling two eyes you know you might be fooling a hundred and so you've got to hunt them all the same and a lot of the time You've got. I feel like you've got to hunt the cows more than the bull because, like you said, he might come over and check out that cow that's you know 45 yards from you. You know, he might be off a little ways, but if you're in tune to with with what's uh, with what's going on, um, yeah, yeah, being in tune and p- paying attention to you know not just him but every critter in the herd uh, that can that can make all the difference. I feel like. Oh, you're spot on. Like that's the challenge with elk hunting is that you're hunting all those cows. And and you know, there's certainly scenarios where you can bust the cows and the and the bulls left behind if he separates from them. But the majority of time or, you know, almost all the time you have to hunt the cows and the cows are going to be the ones that pick you up and and blow up the scenario. It's usually not the bull because, you know, <laughs> he's usually trying to breed those cows and moving around and not paying attention for danger. So the ones that are going to bust here, those cows, and I just try to never, I never give myself away to those cows. I, I never let them pick me up. It's like, I, I, I constantly have to be keeping eyes on them. And I think that goes, you know, as well for trying to get a shot on a bull. Like once you're in bow range of that bull, like like you're not done yet. You still got a major challenge to try to get drawn back and to try to settle on that bull. And and as jumpy as those elk can get, like if those cows see you draw your bow or make a big movement, they're out of there. You're not going to get a shot. And so I think it's equally as important to to really be patient on these elk and those in those final moments when you're trying to get that shot or really paying attention, what's looking at you. And, and sometimes you have no choice. They're on to you, the bulls in bow range, he's broadside, you know, at that point, I'm not going to make any big moves, but I'm going to move really slow and try to bend my limbs back on my bow, ultra slow, try to get back to anchor and settle my pin. Um, but the majority of time, if they don't know I'm there, I'm really going to wait for my opportunity, and that bull may be broadside to me, and I have a good shot at him, but I've got four cows that are staring in my direction. I'll just wait. I'll just wait until it develops a little bit more, wait to get that shot on the elk. And also, like I see guys draw their bow and then walk after an elk or try to walk around a bush. I, I just, man, I like to be really slow, like calm and collected and controlled in those moments and just try to wait for the right shot. And also it's imperative, too, on these elk. They're big targets and big vitals. 
but you can't think that way on elk. Elk take precision shots. They are the toughest animal on planet Earth, at least one of the toughest ones I've ran into where, you know, you have to hit them perfect to kill them with a bow and arrow. You have to hit them lungs, heart, or liver, or they don't die. And so you you can't try to force a shot through branches. You can't try to force, force a shot at a quartering towards angle or, you know, and you can kill a bull head on, but... You know, the spot is so small to shoot at in the front of them, unless I'm trying to defend myself from about five yards away. For me, I'm just going to wait for that good broadside because I just know it takes a perfect shot on those things. So I think that's pretty important, uh, too, when you're hunting hunting big elk like that. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, one of my... My, my new deal because each year you know you want to you want to learn from your previous mistakes or your previous season successes whatever but my new mantra for this year everything hunting this year um my my new deal is the last 10 yards and the last 10 seconds are going to be the most important because i feel like you know i mean i'm just going to speak for myself i get i get pretty juiced up and it's like half the time i got ice water running through my veins and half the time i'm like a kid in a candy store like i can't control it you know i'm I'm just so juiced so it's like that's the one thing and i've literally been saying every arrow i shoot that's what i think is like the last 10 yards the last 10 seconds because those last 10 seconds you know that's you drawing that's drawing your bow back you know that's settling your pin going through you know your your anchor point everything you know picking a spot and pulling through it and that's kind of my new deal to go along with what you're saying there it's like not rushing it you know not rushing it you know hey there's a couple cows looking at me you know i would rather if if there's a you know say a 340 bull in a group of 15 cows i would rather him see me draw my bow back than any one of those cows i feel like I would have far better odds than that. You know, I'd rather have all those cows looking away, him looking at me, and I'd draw my bow back. Obviously, you don't want that, but just as far as the patient side of it goes. So, yeah, that's kind of going to be my new deal, or is at this point. It's like the last 10 yards, the last 10 seconds, you know, the finest of detail, not getting in a rush, not getting out of control, just smooth and easy, and let it rip, so... I love that. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. That's perfect. That sums up bow hunting, too. That is where we need to be at our best. Um, Man, that's beautiful. Well, you'd mentioned and compared these elk to antelope. You also have a love for chasing antelope spot and stock like I do. Like, uh, how how much better do these antelope make you at your spot and stock game for elk? Oh, they are are the reason that I can sneak up on anything. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they. Yeah, I, I. Antelope are one of my favorites, uh, and you know they are in living the wide open, and you have to pick every bit of undulation that you can. I mean, in a prairie dog field, if he's bedded, you've got to try and pick out a 15-inch roll in the ground to go belly crawling behind, and it's like, I always look at antelope season. I mean, I, I love hunting antelope so it's like i look at it as a warm-up for the rest of the season um but they make me so much better and i i almost get upset if i kill one in the first week because it's like i I mean the experience the things you learn on a stock can be used across the board elk mule deer whatever uh yeah, those antelope, they're something else and and they're they're the best. That is the best 
you know, warm up to a hunting season that you can have. And it, yeah, they're my favorite. <laughs> I'll just say it. They're my favorite. <laughs> Dude, there's, a, there's nothing more fun than antelope season. I love it because, you know, they're so yeah. difficult to kill. They're so switched on. They're, they're meant for catching animals that are close to them and they rely upon their eyesight. They can wind you. They can hear you. But, yeah, they just make you so much better in that open country. And even though they're tough to kill, you get a lot of opportunities at them to play the game. And they're so good at catching you. They're so good at making you look like a fool, or at least making me look like a fool. <laughs> it's like you even think about coming over a rise and looking for them, and they got you busted. And once they're on to you, the game is up, you know? And and uh, those things sharpen my skills so much. It's the best warm-up before season. And, and it's a high-opportunity hunt in places like you know, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, where, where, you know, you can, you can get these tags every single year. There is just no finer hunt, no finer game meat. My, it's like my family's favorite game meat. And, um, like you say, all those skills transpose from antelope to hunting elk to hunting mule deer. And, and really I owe a lot of my spot and stock skill to these antelope. Um, and, and they let us hunt them early. Like, uh, our season opens August 15th. And there is just nothing more fun than when that archery antelope season is is opening up, going to crawl through some grass somewhere to try to make it happen. But man, oh man, those things are just a riot. So they teach you, you know, what you can get away with and what you can't. And when you make a mistake, they catch you and they make you look like a fool. And so you learn from it, you know. And so after getting caught, you know, some years when you first start hunting antelope, you know, it's taken me 20 stocks before to kill an antelope. Heck, even when I have the right skills, sometimes it'll take me that long. You know, it just depends on the year. But, um, you know, to get 20 stocks on antelope before elk and deer, you know, you're not going to get that many stocks on elk and deer all year long. You know, so it just makes you makes you so much better. I just I have the same love for antelope and antelope season as you do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And to go, I mean, the the best part about it, you know, if you're not say say a guy's new, um, or just needs to sharpen up on some spot and stock stuff, which I always need to, um, it you can if you if you blow one up and blow them out, you know, you can go around the corner, hike another mile or two, and there's another one. And if you're not picky, you know, there's another opportunity. And uh, they really, I really try and find out because, in my opinion, an antelope is going to catch you far faster than an elk, in my opinion. I mean, they don't, if the button of your hat sticks up above the sage, they're on you. <laughs> and, I mean, and I think they can see 270 degrees. So it's like, it's sneaking up behind their ears. That's about the only place you got. But as soon as he turns a little left, you're toast. But uh, and then, and then if you want to take it to the next level, that's, and I mean, I'm not a trophy hunter by any means, but I like chasing big critters. Uh, then you start to figure out, okay, these big antelope, for the most part, you know, they're hanging around does. Um, and then you can start, you know, working on the herd aspect of the spot and stock. It's like, there's no better, there's no better animal, in my opinion, as far as in North America to stock and learn how to stock something than an antelope, I don't think. And, and if you're lucky enough to put your tag on one, I don't think there's any better table fare as far as wild game goes. It is my wife and I try and get as many antelope tags a year as we can because we absolutely just love it. Man, 
Yeah, uh, spot on. And and you're a really good antelope hunter. You've killed a couple giant ones. And like you say, that's the next degree of difficulty is to try to target those older age class animals. And um, man, I still need my big antelope. I've killed a lot in between 70 and 75. I usually hold out for a good mature one, but um, yeah, I I uh, I need to chase some of the. There's definitely some giants around in this country, and with our 900 archery only tag, we can hunt the entire state. And so there's chances to chase and and harvest those 80 plus inch bucks like you have, you know, which is just incredible. But they're they're so fun. I cannot wait for this season to go chase those things around. And like you say, there there's just no better warm up on season. Those skills transpose directly to your deer and elk season and spot and stock. And so, um, you know, I know our, our elk tactics seem a bit different than other guys out there, but it's it's just what works for us. Like over the years, you know, it there there's just you build these personal preferences and the way you like to hunt elk and the way you like to chase them and maybe it's built around your skill set or built around the country you hunt but but it's just good to know that there's different tactics out there that work and there's guys like like me and you that leave our calls at the truck and we just take our our spot and stock skills and it's still every bit as as exciting as me to me as calling them in used to be it's like um i know when you're calling them in you're interacting back and forth with that rut but there's nothing better than coming over a ridge and hearing that bull bugle over there and knowing he's there getting yourself in range when they're working at you um to me it's just as exciting and and my preferred method to hunt those things i just love stalking on them and i know you do too yeah yeah nope in my with like you said with the skills that I have and, you know, as far as how I like to go about things, I I just, I can't really imagine it any other way. And I've tried, you know, ripping bugles. I just don't speak the language. And, uh, and I, and I've accepted that. So I like to, the language I speak is I'm not there. And I like to just creep up on them and, you know, watch them do their thing without me interjecting. And then until I let an arrow rip. So that's kind of, that's, yeah, I, I wouldn't hunt them any other way. Well, that element of surprise is so key too. Like you notice when you call in bulls, like a lot of times I'd call in a bull or it'd be the bull I want, but I wouldn't get a shot because that thing is on such pins and needles. It knows exactly where I called from. Or do you ever try to call and then and move in on elk? They're on pins and needles. They're looking for danger. They're looking for you. You can't, you can't move a muscle when an elk's coming into a call. But when they're in their natural state and natural environment and you have that element of surprise, you get to watch elk and they're – in in natural behavior you know you get to watch them feed and not be so concerned with danger or you get to watch them rut and these bulls go back and forth and fighting and scraping trees so you get to see all these elk in their their natural state which i think is really cool and so yeah definitely my preferred method as well but um Dylan, man, dude, I always enjoy our conversation so much. That's uh, whether or not we're on the phone or on the podcast. And uh, we are going to hang out this fall. We're going to do a hunt together. We're going to do some fishing together. So we're going to connect here soon. But, dude, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and um, talking about your experience hunting elk. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it too. All right. We'll keep in touch, and I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Man, um, 
I really, I really like that guy. Uh, Dylan is just uh, such a go-getter, such an animal, and the, the rivers and the mountains. And um, I, I originally had him on Eastman's Flycast, uh, in-depth streamers with Dylan Ness, and it's our most downloaded episode, and for good reason. There's just great information, and Dylan just gets them. Whether we're talking big bulls or big browns, Dylan just gets them. Uh, so yeah, uh, really enjoy hanging out with that guy. We also did a couple days fishing, so I've got him coming back up on Eastman's Flycast in an upcoming episode. Uh, we just had a great time and a, a bunch of great laughs. Um, so yeah, super guy. Sure appreciate him being on the podcast. Uh, I also want to thank Swagger Bipods, and I want to thank Onyx Maps. Uh, thanks, you guys, for checking out these companies that support the podcast. It really brings weight to what we're doing here, and uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, make sure to check out uh, that Tag Hub on Eastman's. We're doing $16,000 worth of giveaways. Uh, check out Beyond the Grid, or internet TV show. You can find that new uh, uh, Eastman's, or that new uh, Wyoming high country hunt that I filmed with Lane Walters. We had a great time. Spoiler alert, arrow to Goodbach. Uh, and it just shows uh, off a lot of the, the rugged, remote country that, that you can go hunt with a bow and arrow. So fun to capture that. Uh, check out Eastman's TV. East, Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel. I knew that didn't sound right. And um, uh, also check out that that other podcast, Eastman's Flycast, um, some great episodes, including that one with Dylan Ness. So you can get that everywhere podcasts are found. And with that, just closing in here, I got some great elk hunts coming up, some great deer hunts. Uh, man, I mean, we are right around the corner from season. It doesn't get any more exciting than this time of year. So just trying to get everything taken care of. Running's going great. I mean, I had somebody, I've had a couple people ask like what my peak training is. And and I know I've said it on the podcast before, but um, man, I, I love those mountain miles. I love backpacking. And, and for me, when I'm peak training, I'm running seven days a week. I've got a lot of hot weather hunts, so I'm running in a lot of heat. And, and the miles aren't as big a deal to me as the elevation. I love getting at least 1,000 feet every day. So a good week for me is like 10,000 vertical feet and somewhere right around 50 miles. And just consistency, just doing it day in, day out. Uh, you guys also, you know, I talked on that last solo podcast um, about having that back issue or whatever. So I've got that thing 100%. Um, I've been lifting four to five days a week. Um working on my flexibility every single day, and it's just paying dividends. My body just feels great. Putting great fuel and nutrition into my body, training really hard, and then, you know, also working that construction is like uh, eight hours of CrossFit when you're sheeting roofs and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know anything that, that – um, construction entails so that also gets me a really good workout as well but yeah my body just feels really good training really hard uh, body's dealing with the heat really well so um, I'm just ready for season I'm coming in absolutely 100% um, training as hard or harder than I ever have um, also making sure that I'm shooting a, a bunch of arrows um, I, I'm trying to just average more arrows per day as a, you know, it, it's not about quantity or anything like that, but I, I am at my best when I'm shooting a lot and I know myself. And so just practicing all those little things, bows absolutely dialed. So shooting from my knees, shooting angles, shooting with my pack on, shooting out in the wind, shooting different distances, uh, shooting 3d targets, 
Um, just all those little things, just trying to have myself absolutely ready for my opportunity, whether that's on a, a giant bowl like we like me and Dylan were talking about or a giant buck. I've got some good buck tags, um, so I just absolutely can't wait, man. This is what I live for. This is what I was put on planet Earth to do is, uh, you know, public land backcountry hunting. Uh, I love it with every fiber of my being, and, and we're just right around the corner from from open season, cutting these legs loose and trying to get within a stone's throw of a trophy. So, man, keep working hard towards your goals, you guys. I mean, less than a month away, at least for me, less than a month away. Now, you guys might have a little bit longer, but season is right around the corner. The time to improve your skill set is right now. Um, so you can come into season and be successful, and I know that's what I'm planning for. Is, um, I just uh, I, I want to, you know, Embrace the experience, enjoy the journey, enjoy every step along the way, and um, hopefully I get my chance at some trophy critters and uh, can keep my cool and deliver a perfect arrow. So I absolutely can't wait. Uh, but that's the podcast, guys. Uh, really appreciate all the support, social media, the the reviews. That really helps me out. And uh, supporting these guests, too, uh, means the world to me. Um, you know, when you guys reach out and say, hey, I, I like that podcast. Thanks for being on Eastman's Elevated. Just brings a lot of weight to what we're doing here and uh, makes it easier to get these good guests. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be booking some really good podcasts here coming up so I can be all set for hunting season. And then, yeah, every, I, I've been told so many times you guys like those live recordings. I'm sitting on one right now uh, from Idaho, a cold weather late season hunt from last year. I should release some like some excerpts or put that together for you guys and then I'm, I'm just going to record some more this year so um, you guys are involved in my world and the hunts I'm going on and and can and you know enjoying my success or or my failure <laughs> you know uh, wh whichever the case I'm sure I'm going to have both this season so uh, I'm going to do some more of those live recordings and good solos uh, good guests just trying to continue to grow this podcast and make it the, the best hunting podcast out there. So um, thanks, you guys, for the support. I really appreciate it. And uh, with that, I'll check in with you next week.